you have to put yourself out there in your industry. You can't just expect people to just come to you. So you've got to do something a bit different. And I've, I've spoken to, to sales managers who are regretting it from even their key accounts, their top 10 accounts, and they're not going out there to try and help and support by buying an item that's out of stock from somewhere else in the short term. It's just opening the door. Just, you're just opening the door to somebody else to come in and take that business and build that relationship. Podcast 8, joined by Corrosion Resistance Materials Director Adam Bradley. What do you think of the pod? I enjoyed it. It was Why? nice. Why? Yeah. Why? Well, I think he's, I think one, he's obviously trying to have a personal brand and as well as trying to build a business brand for corrosion resistance material, CRM. And I think you can see what they're trying to, trying to do and listening to one, his personal development of how he's developed into what he's doing now, but also what they're trying to do as a business. And really, you know, what they're trying to do is solve customers' supply chain issues. And that means every bit of the inquiry, they quote on and they have a go and they just, all they want to do is make their customer's life easier. Sound like I'm selling for them. Mm. But I think those beliefs were what really I was trained on. Yeah. yeah. You know, like literally you get 10 items, you've got nine in stock, go and find the other one. You know, yeah. or get, you've got one in stock, you know, find the other nine. At least give them the option, you know, and, and that's, that's what it should be about really. And having to listen to him and about his journey of the Queen's Award and what they had to do and what the process of how long it was. That was good as well. You know, it when was, I went back and, and actually watched them when they had the ceremony, because I've got to be honest, like I was going up there, I thought, oh, I bet, bet this would be rubbish. And it was, it was all right. It was good. I, bet it I actually quite an, enjoyed it. Yeah, I bet it was an experience for them to meet you, weren't it, mate? Well, I think they were worried about me speaking to the Queen's dignitary, thinking I'd say something daft, but she was, she was lovely. Spoke really highly of, of what they'd done, yeah. and I, I, I kind of, I, I had the impression with the with the Queen's Award because I know a few people who'd got it. Um, I think Adam was the third company that I was aware of that got it, and I just assumed it was like most of these things, just a bit of paper, you fill in a form, and you win the award. But realistically, it's it's actually quite hard to get. You have to jump through a lot of oh, hoops, yeah. well, and you have job. to hit these growth figures, and yeah, they've they fair play to them. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. They've done pretty well. Yeah, that's it. Have a listen. Yeah, enjoy the pod. It's Mike and Pete, the metal guys. Joined by Adam Bradley today, CRM, Corrosion Resistant Materials. When did you start in the industry, Adam? What was your kind of your first first kind of uh, venture into the steel sector? Oh, wow. It's probably about 15 years ago now. I joined uh, Mar Limited on the nickel alloy side, and it was in their export division. Basically done about 18 months worth of sales, export sales, because uh, I graduated in French and Spanish. So they were after somebody with the language skills. Um, I knew nothing about metals, nothing about nickel alloys. I thought it was car wheels, to be honest. But yeah. Started out there on the internal sales desk and then took it on from there. How did you find selling into France? Because I've got to say, I think it's tough. It is tough and it still remains tough to this day. But back when I started, you had to be fluent French. Why is it tough, the French market? Out of curiosity, what, what's so tough about it? They, they just buy internal, don't they? They buy internally. So if if you don't have the, the, the language, instant turn off straight away. 
And secondly, they've got such a good supply chain of metals within their own country. You've got to give them a really good reason to come out and buy it in the UK. But we did all right, France. Did well. How is your French and Spanish? It's crap now. <laughs> I've got someone gave me a degree in it once upon a time. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, d I don't use it regularly now. Um, a lot of the markets, export markets that I deal with, all speak English. All speak English. Middle East, even into Europe. Yeah. Uh, Germany, Czech Republic, all English. Well, all the specs are written in English, aren't they? So it's kind of yeah, a bit yeah. of a prerequisite that yeah. that's the lingo. Was it, it hard is. to talk in those languages technically? Obviously, when you're learning the industry in general, I mean, that must be quite tough. It was to begin with. I, I actually got a, it was a bit like a, a dictionary with all the technical metals language in there. So you got used to using the same phrases and saying the same thing over and over again. So you, you got used to it, but to begin with, it was tough. Go on, give us a sentence. No, I'm not doing it, not now. No. Not now, not now. <laughs> yeah, what was, what, was your, uh, what was your elevator pitch in German? In German? I don't speak German. Oh, right, okay. Well, French, I thought, Spanish. I thought you were... French and Spanish. French oh, and Spanish. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was listening. You're not listening very well, are you? <laughs> yeah. so, um, to be honest, back then, it wasn't about elevator pitches because I was just doing internal sales, so inquiries came in. There was less competition in the market as well. So for Nicolales in the UK, we were probably one of three or four people. Whereas now there's, there's, there's huge competition. Yeah. So it just kind of, as long as you had the stock, you'd, you'd sell it. You weren't really selling, you're just doing more most, of the admin role. Most people who get into the industry, Mike, mm. myself included, and many people that will be listening to this, you, you kind of drop into it for no particular reason. You just get a job. Or someone rings you and tells you to come and join the industry sector. You know nothing about it, but then you just stick in the sector. Why? Why do you think you got the bug, and why do you think so many people just stay within this one sector for their whole career, even now? I mean, you're absolutely right, Pete. People stay in it for years, and they move around companies, and they just get the bug. What I liked about it was was the fact that it was technical, but at the same time wasn't too difficult to, to sell it's still a very traditional industry where people talk to people as well so I like that element of it going out chatting to people the travel element as well there's still that element of let's get on a plane let's go there let's go here the exhibitions as well uh, it's a well supported industry so yeah I think that's why people stay in it yeah. it's, why it's you been in it so long Mike? why? yeah so I thought well if <laughs> Because I, I was doing retail sales, so I was getting paid poorly. So when I got into the, the industry, I thought it paid pretty well considering I had no kind of qualifications or anything like, you know, degrees or anything like that. So I was, I was earning money that I didn't really think I warranted at the time, really. That's, that was what kept me into it. And then obviously you see things being made, don't you? That things that you don't even think about, really. You just use them and you and then you don't really, it's, you're seeing the story behind how these things come to a, to a product, don't you? Yeah, I think that's the key, isn't it? Yeah, we all sell steel, the product, the, the raw material, but actually going out and seeing what that final product is, where it's used, th that's the exciting bit. So you're at CRM now. You've been with CRM for five-ish years, is About it? four years now. Four years. Yeah. Um, CRM, relatively speaking, are a bit of a new market entrant, which is not the norm yeah. in our sector. So why did you join? What was the appeal of going to something that was new? That was the appeal. It was new. I could I could kind of put my own slant on things. I could take the company where 
I wanted it to go, where I felt it could go. <laughs> kind of previous companies, they were traditional. They'd been around for 80 years, 50 years. They were set in their ways. There was no real way of changing yeah, the put your own identity on it. put your own identity on it yeah yeah so you've got all these ideas that you want to put in place i want to do it this way i want to do it that way you go to a board meeting no that's the way we've always done it but working with the guys at crm it was a, a blank piece of paper let's let's do it how we want to do it let's what was it what was it like when you first joined them if you could just give us an idea yeah, of what absolutely. you walked into um, what i walked into i mean in terms of um, the warehouse space it was half of what it is now so it was just one small unit no stock at the time just trading and they were doing no export business at all just uk so orders wise probably 30 or 40 orders a month just getting the name known a little bit out there but the actual knowledge within that team and the contacts and what, we, what they were trying to achieve, I felt could be scaled up. That was the real reason for joining. I thought definitely a market in the export for it, offering loads of different grades of materials from stock, from trading, but different product types. So bar, sheet, plate, flanges, fittings, all those kind of things, as well as machining, heat treatment, testing. There was nobody really out there doing it across a full range of materials. So I, I, I felt it was an opportunity that we could really scale it up. And what position did you go into at that time? What was, was you just trading, was you, you bringing in stock How? what was? Yeah, I mean, my first, uh, first thing was just to kind of bring my customer base in. So it was all export based. So just to get some quick hits straight, straight off the bat trading. But then as that took off, we kind of took over the next unit next door to put stock in. So that was the big the big move so that we had a bit more reassurance that we could supply things quickly and we weren't just reliant on everybody else. We, we had something that we could actually offer. How did you find, because you're setting up, it's mm. a new business effectively. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're reliant then on customers or, or suppliers that you're then competing against. So there's that kind of, there's that rub that, you're trying to give people orders, but they're trying to protect their own interests because they don't necessarily want an Adam Bradley ringing customers or potential customers that they're dealing with. That does happen. I mean, we we have around about 60 or 70 suppliers worldwide, but they don't see every inquiry that comes their way. So I'm quite open with, with our suppliers. I'll say, look, if, if you've seen this direct, just let me know and I can go elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, 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 and, and that's the thing. I mean, do you want the order? We, we, can, we can secure the order. We've got good relationships. As a, as a stockholder, you can't win every business. You can't see every inquiry. So that's where we fit in. You were saying about some of the ideas. Obviously, you mm. mentioned some of the things about producing the flanges, doing the testing, yeah. things like that. What, what was the pushback previously for those kind of ideas, you know, maybe if you tell us some of the things that you were thinking of doing, but companies were maybe pushing back, you know, what, what were those things, Adam? The, one of the main ones was social media, to be honest, being, being, having a LinkedIn presence, networking, a lot of well, previous companies were, were certainly of the opinion that there wasn't really much merit to that. They wanted you more on the phone, doing the inquiries day to day basically pushing pushing that side of things through and less of generating new why did you decide because obviously look social media is just 
gone mental over the last few years you obviously quite an early adopter on linkedin and actually going right i'm going to really use this and it's quite it's a powerful tool what why did you jump on it so so early it's well it's free it's free and you can get content out there you can you can say on in a positive way what you're doing as a person as an individual but as a company as well so whenever i'm putting anything out on linkedin it's positive it says about what we do as individuals within the team yeah there's a slant on the company but i try and give people some something that they want to read something that they want to see some good bit of information um not just a picture of a bit of bar on a saw which i have done but yeah <laughs> it's not exciting it's not interesting it doesn't give too much value so when i first started out on it i was a bit like that i was a bit like come and buy this bit of steel come and buy this I was trying to sell, but the best way of doing it is just to tell the story, tell your story, your day-to-day story, what you've been, where you've been, who you've seen, the stories of the individuals who work there. That's the key. That's what people want to read about. But also helps with not just bringing new business in or your existing, it's also, there's a massive supply chain out on LinkedIn, isn't there? Absolutely. There's loads of people that inbound you, but they have. They are seeing your story, your business, and hopefully trying to bring a benefit to your business also, isn't it? So it also works 360, doesn't it? It's not just about bringing in new business. You can equally bring a new supply partner in, and that could be more valuable than anything else that allows you to grow the business better, doesn't it? Absolutely. It does both. So we've had new customers from it. We've had new suppliers. But also within the business, as you know, we're running a business, you need bricks and mortar, you need forklifts, you need um, health and safety, you need apprentices. And they all come through that chain as well. They all see what we're doing and people from outside the business see that that's what we're trying to portray. This is what we're trying to do. And they want to instantly yeah. tap want, into it. Yeah. And they want to deal with you. They want to deal with us, yeah. yeah. Without it gives us, to go gives like us credibility. Yeah, gives us that credibility, yeah. If we just go back to when you started CRM, so you talked about your first kind of 12 months. How has it changed from where you are when you started and maybe talk about maybe some of the challenges you've you've had as a business to get to where you are now if you can when i first started the team were doing really well i mean they'd just gone over a million turnover and they were putting a lot of good systems in place but i think what we've what i've tried to do and what we've tried to do as a team is put more kind of emphasis on on budgets on customers on just kind of KPIs as well, put those in place so you can get a good picture month by month of where the business is. Even just basic systems such as keeping a track of what inquiries you're doing, what follow-ups you're doing. It's basic things, but when you're trying to run a business at the front end, those things can go out the door because you're just literally dealing with what's coming in day to day and you're fighting the fires. So I think bringing me in helped Chris and Lee to put out some of those fires and and put a bit more structure on onto the business which has helped us grow because we can then sit back and see what materials sell best which customers are trading best who where we should put our efforts how was it then pushing out to you know other people within the business because obviously if it's gone from still having some kind of structure I imagine but not as kind of mm. perhaps regimented in a way 
were they quickly on board with that? Was it difficult for someone new to come in and then go, look, this is the way we're going to change it now? How, how was it? How wasn't difficult. It? it wasn't difficult at all. I think people do crave structure. They they like working to that structure, but at the same time, it's not it's not high pressured. So yeah, we put targets in place, but we we're there to have a good time. We're there to enjoy work. So I think that emphasis is still there. And new people coming into the company, they want to join us because we are flexible. We are fun. We we kind of let people go to spend time with the kids or if they need to do this or they need to do that. That's what a small company can do and we, we look after people. This podcast is sponsored by the UK Metals Expo. After the successful launch of this event in 2022, the UK Metals Expo will be back at the NEC in Birmingham on the 13th and 14th of September 2023. For podcast listeners, you can secure a 20% discount for booking a stand by quoting the Metal Guys Talk Business when speaking to the event organisers about booking. The UK Metals Expo is an industry event connecting the full supply chain from primary metal manufacture through supply chain, processing, fabrication, surface coating and all the way through to recycling. Effectively, as they used to say in the old days, from melt to market. With full endorsement from the UK Metals Council, its trade members and other industry bodies, the show had great initial credentials and has the potential, in my opinion, to become a huge annual event in the UK, drawing exhibitors and attendees from across the UK and further overseas. With free-to-attend seminars taking place inside the show, it's definitely an event not to be missed by anyone with a career in or around the metal industry. We certainly enjoyed it and we look forward to seeing you in 2023. But for now, let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, we, we're always instilled that, don't we? We're always like family first, family Absolutely. first, family first, because, you know, you just can't, you can't put a price on that bit, can you really? So I think it's really important and there's, there's people that we speak to, especially on, you know, the, the recruitment that we're doing day to day, we're speaking with people looking to move around or to move to different companies. And that's a big change now, isn't it? People are really... They want those more intangible things, you know, the the niceties of the business. They don't just want to be a number. They want to be valued. So you, you're right. And when I first started in industry, working from home was frowned upon. Yeah. You just didn't you just didn't do it, even though you could do it. Um, everybody trailed into the office. With the cost of living now and price of fuel, people like to have that flexibility where they can say, right, on a Friday, I'll work from home. Well, thanks for driving down today, mate. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Full of diesel. Expenses are going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you started a podcast similar to us. Um, 20, 20, was it you started knocking? Yeah, some 2020. Of them out? Yeah. We, we did it as a kind of, we, me and Mike had talked about it. Kind of when COVID kicked in, you have that everyone stepped back a bit because life went mental. <laughs> And everyone reassessed. And basically, we didn't have a business for X amount of months, did we? So we're like, right, okay, what are we going to do for a bit to kind of keep our spirits up? And we decided to start a podcast and we enjoyed it. Why did you decide that you wanted to also kind of go down that route and start talking about the industry and actually putting yourself out? I did a I did a training course uh, while I was on COVID, while, while, while I was on lockdown, should I say. For something to do as well, um, yeah, a lot of questions. Yeah, all to do. I had nothing to do, so I did a I did a sales training course with um, Steve Knapp. Really fantastic. And what he said, what he kind of the main message was that you have to put yourself out there in your industry. 
you can't just expect people to just kind of uh, come to you. So you've got to do something a bit different. So started to do a bit more on LinkedIn and thought, well, podcast, that's a way of kind of setting myself apart from everybody else and giving people that platform and the metals industry, that platform to be able to share their stories. So it was kind of, well, I want to put the individual, not the company at the front of this. So I did three and they were were all really interesting individual people and they themselves wanted to get their name as well as the company. So it's their branding, not just, not just the company branding out there because people buy from people. So you want to, you want to get that story out there. So set it up to tell people's stories, um, did three and then kind of hit a brick wall. Absolutely hit a brick wall. Talk talk us through the problems because we're going to know them. But for, for <laughs> someone listening here, just just tell us about what are the main issues you have doing a podcast. The main the main issue is to get the guest um, that that I had. So I know a lot of people in the industry within the metals industry and and people in a similar position to me who who buy and sell metals, all with interesting stories. As you say, people move around the industry. So they go from this company to that company. I found the biggest issue was individuals would agree. Individuals wanted to do it, but then they'd get a block by HR or the company would block them. It's not for us. All sorts of different excuses. And literally all I wanted was a half an hour chat over Zoom to tell their story. Give their company a platform. Give that individual a platform. It wasn't about me so much. It was about raising them. And still it was, no. Yeah. How did you find, because I know, um, obviously the way you were doing your pods was slightly different to how we've done them because you were doing them mainly online, weren't you, rather than Yeah, I didn't, have, I didn't have the budget you guys have got. We, well, <laughs> I don't think we've got the budget we've it's got. Imagine what you find on Gumtree. <laughs> you've got some during, kit during though. lockdown. Cheers, guys. Yeah, yeah, all the gear, all the gear. I, well, that was the main reason for doing it because everyone, voice. everyone was working. Everyone, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, everyone was working from home, so people had a little bit more time on the hand, and everyone was just using Zoom and Teams. They just got used to using it. So for me, it was just great. Press record and let's just chat. That was it. It's a shame that people are not allowed to talk because actually some of the people who you have on podcasts in general, they talk so naturally. It's not the generic kind of corporate output or, you know, actually it's more it's more of a personal feeling, isn't it, really? Actually people feel like your content you stick out on LinkedIn in general. You, people feel like they know Adam Bradley. People feel like they know CRM. But more seeing your stuff, it, people buy into that. Guess what? They pick up the phone, don't they? They talk, it creates conversations other than how was your weekend? <laughs> Absolutely. And when I meet people, even for the first time, like when I met you guys, it's as though we've known each other for years because of, of what we've seen and what we've done through through social media. LinkedIn friends. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so um, plans to do more, Adam? I mean, obviously you're with us today, but do you think it'll be something that you, you'll start up again and you'll kind of continue with them? Possibly. Um, it's just having the time to do it. I seem to be kind of doing all sorts of different things at the minute, exhibitions, awards, all this kind of good stuff, but the sales side as well. So we'll see. We'll see. You mentioned there the awards. Obviously, you've just, it was the Queen's Award, wasn't it? How did that come about? And 
Yeah, yeah tell us a bit more about, about it. Because, you know, I yeah. knew Midsteel got that award years ago. And I remember seeing James Street and he, he showed me the thing and he had the plaque and he said, yeah, we got this and we export it to 50 odd countries or something around the world and we did X amount. And he said to me, he goes, this took ages. <laughs> like we, we had to fill in a lot of paperwork. So talk us through the process and why you started it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, why, the why we started it was to get um, recognition for our export sales. It was to set us aside from the competition, but it was to give our company name kind of a bit of credibility in, in export. It's an internationally recognised award and you put something Queens or royalty or anything like that and people instantly buy into it. So that was the why we did it. And the process, like you say, it is a very, very long process. It probably took about six months, certainly filling in the paperwork. You have a quite a lengthy application form to fill in. You've got to get all the accounts right and you've got to get the accountant involved in that. You can't you can't be making it up or even trying to get close. So it has to be accurate. And they also go through every, more or less every invoice you've done for the export market. So the criteria was that we'd have to we'd done over a hundred thousand turnover sales in our first year, and we had to show sub, substantial growth. So it was it was quite easy because we just started out on that export journey. So we just hit the the first year we just hit that criteria, and then we were growing rapidly from there. So the number of customers was increasing, number of countries we were exporting to was increasing, the products that we were selling were increasing. So everything was going in that upward trajectory over the three-year period that you, you need to qualify for it. So it was one of them things, yes, it was a lot of hard work, but when you looked at the numbers, you felt, actually, I think we can do this. I think we, we, we're we doing the right things. What made you look at doing it? What, what's the, like, how did six months ago you started it then? Yeah. What, where did that come from? Of, is it something that was always in plan to do or was I'd, it just I'd, something I'd that heard about and thought, I'm going to go have a look I'd at it? I'd heard about it probably about 10 years ago. As, as an award you could you could apply for. And I'd applied for other awards, local chamber awards and um, industry awards. But I just felt this was something I'd heard of previously and felt it was it was for us, certainly on the international trade front. There was also a big drive from the um, British Chamber of Commerce, uh, local to us, because the previous year, they'd only had three winners from South Yorkshire. And with South Yorkshire, lots of industry, lots of business, lots of exporting going on. They wanted to get more companies that they felt would qualify for it to make them look better, I would imagine. So they had a big drive as well. So I, I bought into that. And the year we received the award, there was 11 South Yorkshire companies who all received the award as well. And people within our industry as well. What I've noticed, particularly in the north, and there's this kind of northern powerhouse that, you know, has been talked about, there seems to be like a bit of a kinship between everyone in the north that you're all kind of in it together, in industry particularly, and really championing what's going on in the north of England. Again, why do you think that is happening? But also, you know, why has there been so much success up there, particularly over recent years? There's a lot of... There's a lot of closeness within, within, within Yorkshire, within the North. Really, people know everybody who, who's local to them. Um, we're no exception to that. I mean, we use a lot of local heat treaters, test houses, machine shops, and because it's local, you kind of can get that service as well. 
you can go and visit them. You can go and get that, build that relationship. So I think certainly from where we are in that Sheffield area as well, there's a lot of expertise from the metals industry from 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 our side. So I think it's just everybody working together trying to trying to achieve something for them. It's not just you being from God's country. And no, well, just... there's an element to that. There's an element to that. You all speak the same language. But but at the same time, if it's ten pence cheaper and it's um, down, it's further down the road. You'll you'll go with it. I want to save a few quid, yeah. So, um, but we've we've all lost an order for pennies, haven't we? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh dear. Um, I want to talk about socials again. We kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but it's obviously really big for me. It's something I'm trying to push and try and get the market connected and talking and getting more onto these social channels, doing these podcasts, creating video content, and just generally talking about what we're doing as an industry. Now, you, like me, have been kind of on the same journey, really, trying to get people together, get people talking. Um, and I noticed recently you did some work with the BVAA and you got some of your kind of competitors, so to speak, all together to talk about a few different bits and pieces. So can you just talk about how that kind of happened and what that was about and, and, and how it went down? Yeah, it was something that I've been speaking to the BVA about for, for some time now. The number of metals, materials suppliers within that uh, organization was growing and we were supplying into valve manufacturers. So yeah, we all compete, but at the same time we were going to events and we were chatting and we were building relationships up amongst each other. And I felt because we were doing a lot of trading, so we were buying from Langley Alloys, we were buying from Broder Metals. I had that kind of relationship with everybody to be able to pull people together. So I had a chat with Robert at the BVA and said, look, is this something that you'd like us to put on? A little bit of a roundtable forum discussion about the issues that we're having within the metals industry so that we can kind of share that information with the, the the members, the valve manufacturer members who are buying materials. They might not be aware of the price increases. They might not be aware why the prices are increasing. They might not be aware that there's supply chain issues or that mill lead times are moving out. So we just want to share that information and get that over to the valve manufacturers so they can make informed decisions about the materials that they're buying and not just wait until the last minute and expecting it to be the same price it was six months ago and the same availability. Before we talk about the guys, as I say, the competitors kind of jumping on and, and doing that all together and collaborating, how did it go down with the kind of the customers that were buying those materials when you were being so open and transparent and all of you were sat together talking? How, how did they find it? They, they found it really informative. It wasn't a sales mission. That was the real big point of it. It was about getting information across to help people. And we'd all come together from different kind of material streams. And we all had different stories to tell. But we all had the same consensus. We were all having the same issues. And that that was kind of good to see. So a lot of people came on to I think there's about fifty, sixty people on the on the on the call that day. And a lot of people thanked us for it because they realized that they had to do something about their material supply. Did it lead to any inquiries for us? Possibly not, but I'm not really that bothered because I just want to pass that information on to help people ultimately. This podcast is sponsored by Amron Architectural. Amron Architectural are a company that I've been working with for nearly two years now and the business has grown rapidly over that time. 
Um, very experienced staff, uh, very knowledgeable within the architectural interior design space. Um, the ethos of the company is to kind of inspire choice, engage uh, and work with metals and meshes of all different types. They work with classic woven meshes all the way through to bespoke profile cladding panels. And uh, you know the experience of the guys there is, I, I would say, it's, it's right up there in the, um, in the UK. They've developed a full range of systems for all aspects of internal and external environments from bespoke ceilings, gantry systems, specialised partitions to large external facade systems and pretty much everything in between. Um, I think the thing that strikes me about these guys is um, they're, they're interested in clients' ideas. They like to talk to clients. They like to know what's happening and develop the systems that fit with the, with the trends but also the design requirements um, of the architects in the industry and the and the clients, so yeah, a company that definitely go in places. It's great to have them as a as a sponsor of the podcast. Um, and if you're looking to create those exciting internal and external designs, then um, these are the guys to talk to. Yeah, I mean, I think I was looking at um, the chat from All Steels has recently been doing a lot on LinkedIn. Um, his name's gone from my head now. Is it Tom McDonald or? To, um, He's been passing on a lot of information recently about price increases and the reasons why. And again, you can see that that content is just being eaten up because again, there's just not, it's not being pushed out into the market that well. So I do think it's it's a value always to just be kind of sharing these pieces of value to your clients. It is a value. And I think as well, when, when the market's good and there's lots of material in the market and prices are good, you tend to stick to the same suppliers. But if you're then going to those same suppliers and you're having issues and, and you can't get material for, I don't know, three, four months, but you need it straight away, it's good to know there's alternatives out there and just to shout about it. Let's go um, go back to getting the other guys on board because yeah, yeah. there's something about competitors and what I'd say, and this is it's just my opinion here. I think in Europe, competitors talk a lot more a lot more openly and probably again people came me for this but probably a bit more professionally than we do in the UK but I think it's probably changing now in the UK and it's not so much everyone's the enemy and actually we can have conversations even if we're competing over some of the same customers how did you get these guys together and was it difficult to get these guys to come together to talk in that forum style it wasn't difficult at all because um, we, we got that personal relationship as well as the business relationship. And like I say, we were buying buying from them. So, And we were all part of the same organization, the BBA. So that, that pulled us together. So it was it was easy in a sense to get that platform to do that. And, and thanks to BBA for giving us that platform to, to be able to do that. And I think within organizations certainly met material suppliers and it's, it's growing as well within that organization can come together to to solve the issues for its own members if you can do that you're adding value so it wasn't that wasn't difficult one of the other things i think is pretty key about if we go back to social media that we, we spoke about it there's a drive from the youth isn't there to just embrace this and use more of this this tech do you think that that's the issue that most people who are running companies in the UK are just generationally that little bit further up the tree 
And do you think there's just a fear of getting online and that's what's holding people back? Because, you know, me and Mike were talking about this only a couple of weeks ago and I was pretty much saying, you know, people are scared to put something on social because they're so worried about their boss being like, what the bloody hell are you saying? You're like, I don't want you to do this. You're saying too much or you're showing too much about our business. Why do you think people are, there's still that reticence to to talk and show what's going on within their businesses on social media? I think it's, it, it boils down to that competition again. Uh, traditionally, competitors didn't come together to, to, to share information or solve problems or say, well, those guys are probably better at it than us and give referrals and all these kind of good stuff. So I think what MDs and traditional MDs may be a little bit afraid of is is giving out information to their competitors of what materials they're doing, what their machine is doing. But what I think people don't realise is it's already out there. It's on the website. So why would you not just try and make it positive and shout about what you're doing to get your name above everybody else who's not doing it? Now, the other guys that work at CRM, I never see them, yeah, yeah. which is fine. So how does that work between yourselves? Obviously, you're very open on social social media you post a lot you're getting yourself out and about you're all showing yourself at different events how do they feel about that when you know it, it was there a conversation that you had or did you just just crack on with it how did it I, work? I just cracked on with it to be honest because um, i felt there was there was um there was some warrant in it and i'm not stopping anybody else doing it if they want to do it as well but it's that confidence it's it's having that confidence to go and post something do a video even just put a an article on or whatever if you're not confident in doing it or you not feel you've got the skill to do it then some people just feel they're not gonna have a have a go was two things i mean the first one if you again someone's listening in who's they they might want to start posting they might want to start sharing but there's that fear factor what would you say to them about getting over that reluctance to uh to post just do it just put something out there that you feel comfortable with. D- don't make it too corporate. Don't think too much about it. If you've been on a business trip, just put just put, put it on there. I'm going there. I'm doing this, and those those will get you the hook straight away. You've got to do it regularly. You've got to. You can't just put something out there once every couple of months. You've got to make it part of your weekly, daily, daily, weekly. Daily is difficult, yeah. But you've got to make it part of what what you do. Secondly, sorry, Mark, I'm just jumping in. (laughs) For business owners or for people that are running sales teams or running operation teams, how do you think that they should be talking to their staff about socials? Do you think it's important to have that top down to allow people to feel free to do it? Because I think that, I think personally that that is one of the issues. I think it's not being spoken about. So there's kind of this, I don't even know if I could, or, you know, some companies I've had people direct message me and they're like look we're, we're literally not allowed we can't do it so do you think that that's something that needs to be addressed within businesses and if so like what should people be saying to their staff in your opinion in my opinion it's good to, it's good to have some guidelines especially if you've got a big team because then they can feel confident in what they're putting out there if but for, for me if if, if 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 a member of your team is being positive and they're pushing information out there which can only look good for your company then I don't know why you don't want to do it 
I just think people are in businesses where it's never been done. And if you're working in a team of, say, 10, and you come in and no one's doing it, why would you do it? Because you don't have the thought pattern to do it. You're on something. You might, And just because you've got an account doesn't mean you use it. And people just look at it and they go on there to gain information about a market sector and then come off. The point where people need to start posting is they've got to start to realise the benefits of it. I just think if you work somewhere, if, if, if you work somewhere tomorrow and it was about you've always chased your quotes, you've always done your calls, you've always, but you went into a business and did none of that, you might start off that way. The chances are you suddenly change the way that you're working in the environment, doesn't it? It's like if you put it into like a football way, you can buy a really good player. And then if, if he comes into a team, he could be he could be crap. It's, it, everyone just dictates. There's no, there's just no push from businesses in the sector at all to do it. Really I think people awesome. want to do it. I mean, I've been out talking to people, as you know, for the last couple of months, going and speaking, similar working with yourself, Adam. So I think there's people are starting to talk about it, but it just seems, I think it's just too alien. Well, people get scared of asking the question to the managers, don't they? I mean, you think when we started this business off, we knew no one really. We knew company names. And we would ask people, we've known for 10 years, to say, can you go speak to your HR manager to give it? And they'd be, they'd be scared to do it. Mm. So to go to a an MD, an owner of a business and say, can I start posting on LinkedIn? People sometimes don't have the skills to do that, do they? It's got to come from the top to go, we need to have a presence. Like, we need to talk about, need to talk about like when you have to have a website. Yeah. <laughs> just have, you just have to do it. And that's the way socials are going. You're going to have, whether they like it or not, they're going to have to do it because you're just missing out, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I wanted to talk about um, associations and the value from associations because I know you recently joined the uh, British Stainless Steel Association that me and Mike have been members and we get we feel like we get a lot of value out of, out of being in that association. Obviously, we work with NAS, we work with Alfed as well. I think, again, for younger people, you probably look at some of these associations, they seem like a little bit like old boys clubs traditionally. I think it's changing. But what value have you managed to get out of being involved in these associations? And why should people maybe look at associations as a good way of developing their business and their networks? There's lots of good reasons for joining, not just not just business, not just getting new customers and new suppliers. I think that's that's ultimately why some people go into it and, and often why then organisations drop it off because they're not getting the return on investment. But there's there's lots of other good reasons for, for doing it. It's, first of all, it gives you that kind of credibility. So you you're in a, you're in an organisation with other companies who are potentially bigger than you. It gives you that platform to go to conferences to learn about what's happening with stainless steel. I mean, the one we went to um, recently in Birmingham, really really good information given out there, which you can't always get just from the internet or in passing so and it's networking so you meet people and the more you go to the networking events the more effort you put in with these organizations the more you can kind of get out of it and that's if you are a member of of, of a, a trade association make the most of it the bvaa for example we can put out free advert ed, free advertorial free editorial um, they help us out with um, trade exhibitions during COVID, the information that they were passing out was was critical to our company on uh, on furlough, on um, all sorts of different things. So the technical side as well, and that certainly comes through the BSSA with the training. 
is, is great. It's just making sure that you tap into it. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, going forward with uh, CRM, obviously the business has been going, how many years has CRM been uh, going? It'll be seven years this year. Okay, so it's still quite early or young in its journey. You've obviously got to a certain level now with the business. How do you see the business developing going forward for CRM, but also more widely in the industry? Do you think there's going to be changes to the way stockholding distribution companies are going to be run going forward, Adam? I think for us, it's going to be more of the same. It's not just about selling selling steel and selling it quickly. It's about giving those added value services that we can all all add to it. So the machining, the testing, finished machine parts, those kind of things that we can offer additionally to try and help people out. So I think I think we'll continue to do that. In terms of stockholding, I think I think the industry will will continue to grow. People companies will kind of look at their stock lines and maybe reduce it slightly. Um, I think there's certain stockholders who are carrying a lot of stock lines and they might just think, well, do we actually need to keep all this stock, get rid of a few and and bolster some of the other fast moving lines? I think gone are the days where it's, those are stocking that grade of material. So we need to stock it fully. You don't need to do that. You can just you can just kind of try and trade. What I do see in the industry, and this is why we, I think we've done so well, is there is a reluctance to trade. We'll, I'll send an inquiry out to a stockholder, traditional stockholder, and if they haven't got the stock, they'll just regret it. They'll just regret it. That then opens the door to your competition straight away. And I've I've spoken to um, to sales managers who are regretting it from even their key accounts, their top 10 accounts, and they're not going out there to try and help and support by buying an item that's out of stock from somewhere else in the short term. It's just opening the door. Just, you're just opening the door to somebody else to come in and take that business and build that relationship. We always used to ask the question, you know, people come and they give you the big list. Yeah. And you'd, you'd be quite open and say, well, look, we can supply. This is all the stuff that's core product. Fine. <laughs> We'll supply you that. Yeah. Do you want us to get the other things in and build the package for Absolutely. you? And almost ask the question first, because some some people do want to split the orders up. But again, look, I've been out in the industry now for four years, say, on, on a desk. So is that just what you're saying there? Is that just becoming the norm that people will literally, if you inquire on 10 items, they'll just offer three and it's just regret, regret, regret. They don't even pick the phone up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, I'm happy for that to happen because we've got a business out of that. <laughs> yeah. Do you, so think, that's, that's do you think that's because the market's been so buoyant and it's been busy, people making a lot, you know, making making money and they become like, well, actually, we just don't need to do that now. What I hear a lot of is there's no point in me offering that because so-and-so do that, so-and-so do that. But the buyer might not know that. The buyer might not know where they can go for that material. There's a lack of knowledge a lot of the time in some of the buyers, some haven't been in the industry 10, 15 years. Some are quite new to the business and the industry and they want help. They want support with grades and materials that they've, they're struggling to find. It might be even basic grades and materials, but if they've never bought it before and they don't know where to go. I mean, my best accounts were the, you know, the ones I used. I used to think it was mad because I'd make more money on the things that I traded then sometimes, you know, people come on and they want like a few lengths of bar, they want a bit of something machined or, you know, I need to go and get a couple of flanges from elsewhere. And I make more margin on the stuff that I was 
had double margin on effectively than your own stock range. It was it, it, it was madness. It's the same for us, to be honest. And and just so yeah, just doing that extra little bit for people. So within our industry, small diameter bars, people will sell a full bar. But if a customer only wants a meter, then they might not buy the full bar. So I'll offer a meter. It might be more expensive than the um, the meter price for a three meter bar, but they only want a meter. <laughs> Do you remember yeah. Pricey? Who's telling that story? Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Free diameter. Pricey, Pricey had a client where they um, they phoned him up and they wanted they, they, they wanted a meter, didn't they? They wanted a meter of this stuff. It was it was tiny, was it? Was worth nothing. And he said, oh, he goes, he goes, yeah, three eighths, yeah, yeah. <laughs> three eighths. He was showing us like this. And he goes, yeah, the, they, this customer, he goes, he goes, I want one meter of this. And he goes, uh, yeah, no problem. I'll, uh, I'll send you three meters free of charge because <laughs> it was worth nothing. And you get loads of business. He goes, no, 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 but I only want a meter. And he goes, no, I, I hear that. He goes, but I'm not going to cut it. I'll just send you a three meter piece. And he went, no problem. Place the whole order elsewhere. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, I couldn't even give it away for free. <laughs> well, I think it's just understanding your customers because, I mean, for some of our uh, machine shop customers, they haven't got a saw. Yeah. They can't cut the material, so Correct. there's no point. There's no point in me offering them if they want, I don't know, fifty pieces at sixty milli long. There's no point in me offering them a meter piece from stock. They can't cut it. So it's all about understanding your customers and what they what they need, and giving them what they ask for. This podcast is sponsored by Anglo Stainless. Anglo Stainless are a stockholder of pipe fittings and flanges based in the UK. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with Anglo Stainless for. Well, for many years, actually, uh, I've experienced the quality of their materials and service firsthand with um, thousands of items in stock from low pressure BSP all the way through to high pressure forge fittings, as well as butt weld, hygienic gaskets, pipes, valves and flanges to suit. They're a great place to find the products you need all in one place. They've got a really experienced team supplying products across the UK and also overseas. But for more details, check out the podcast show notes or give them a call. Uh, they can well recommend it from me and will be a great addition to anyone's supplier network. Order with confidence from the team at Anglo Stainless. But now, let's get back to the podcast. What difficult. do you think of the technicalities of people coming through? Because I know, you know, again, I don't want to hammer the industry here, but there's a lot of people. I mean, I was a, I went to Galbach yesterday, just dropped in. I mean, there's a classic. Actually, just walked in the door, no appointment, boom, saw two people. So you can still do it. But um, I was chatting to James Lamb and his dad, Graham, 70, like my dad, 70 years old in Jan, and they're still working and they're still trading and they're still getting inquiries coming through. They almost can't retire because people are, they've got a skill set that the newer generation don't seem to be, you know, don't seem to have. So, you know, what's your, what's your slant on what's going on? The technical knowledge is is deteriorating within the industry, certainly within the sales within the sales teams. When I first joined the industry, I had to understand materials. I had to understand how they were produced. I had to read specifications. I had to make sure material met spec and if it needed additional testing, what to do and where to go for it. I had to learn all that. Whereas companies, I think it was probably happening five or six years ago, they were moving more to having metallurgy teams, technical teams, contract review teams, who would do all that? So a salesperson would just get a, a spec in and a, a mill cert, send it to another team to vet it and to say, does this meet my spec? And through that, they were losing 
the abilities. As new people were coming through, they weren't having to check specs. It was all done for you or a system was doing it for you. And that knowledge has been lost. Do you think on the flip side, the people who purchased the material are more aware of the specs than what they're buying or, or not? No. Not. Um, some are. Obviously, if they've been in the industry some time, they'll, they'll understand the specs really well. But I can be having conversations with people about certain yields or certain hardnesses and it just goes above people's heads sometimes. So that's why you're getting such good opportunities and why you're growing, I guess, isn't it? Just because of the skill set? You supply to spec, yeah. You understand the specs and customers then, purchasers particularly, can uh, come to rely on you that it's going to do what they want it to do. The export market, because obviously that's where you, you're picking up a lot of success. How are, you, how are you getting the new customers in without giving all the trade secrets away? Because that's one of the things that people are always struggling with. It's just like, how do we win that new business? How do we get more people buying from us? And how can we tap into those? Because those export markets, generally, you can add a lot of value to them and you can make more money from my experience. So how have you been winning that new business? Where's it coming from? Well, to, to find it, it comes from many different streams. The social media is one thing. People see, find us which is great. Trade shows, exhibitions. I've started to go over to do uh, trade shows and exhibitions rather than just do the milk round and visit customers personally because I find you can get more people in a room at the same time and, and cover more um, cover more in a short space of time. We get a lot of referrals as well. We do. Within, within the industry, you'll, you'll supply material out to a machine shop in Dubai, for example, and then his mate down the road wants the same thing. So all of a sudden, he's sending you an inquiry for, this, for the same thing, and then it just snowballs like that. So I think if you do a good job and you give a good service, people find you, and as long as you're shouting about it, that comes comes naturally. Yeah, I agree. Any, um, any kind of successes, again, you know, back on socials but just because you mentioned it there but do you find that people will just message you directly through social media they'll see a post and then those have turned into accounts because i think that's where people sometimes think well it just doesn't happen but it does happen yeah now we, we have it people will see a post that we put out there and then they'll want to arrange a meeting and from there then it will snowball into potential inquiries and orders we've had some good success through it but also through the um, trade organisations where you, it's as though you've got to keep going at people, but it, it's it's not like I'm picking up the phone and I'm ringing them 10 times in a row and annoying them. They're seeing it. So they're, they're subliminally taking this information in all the time without you having to directly ring them all the time. And, and then if an opportunity hits their desk, they might just associate it with what you're putting out there and give you a call. How do people get in contact with you then, Adam? Like, how do people get in contact with corrosion-resistant materials and why should they be talking to you? This is your elevator pitch now. This is the is only, this bit, you get. This is the only bit you get. Yeah. You're putting me under some pressure now. In French. Yeah. I don't. In French. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not German. Yeah, not German. Yeah, not German. No, that, that would go down a, a treat, wouldn't it? I mean... <laughs> Come on, this is, the, this is the bit. This is what you do. <laughs> I'm a bit fried now, though. Yeah, I've got to go back to what I'm doing, yeah. So, I mean, people can talk to us about um, about nickel, stainless, duplex, aluminium, titanium grades of materials, bar, sheet, plate. 
but the the main reason to come to us is if they want anything that's quite technical. So if it needs heat treatment, additional machining, uh, additional testing. So it's not just straight out of the box, straight off the shelf. And as I always say to people when I'm speaking to them for the first time, if there's something you're struggling with and you find it difficult to find, speak to us. We've got the contacts. We've got, as I mentioned earlier, over 70 different suppliers worldwide that we can tap into. And as I mentioned, we've supplied 65, 70 grades of materials, all to different challenging specs and often with additional machining and heat treatment. So that's the main reason to come to us and gain contact with us through email address, give us a call, through LinkedIn, anyway, anytime. And just finally, finally. Yeah, what should we get up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 that's the one. <laughs> Got to beat that now. <laughs> What's my biggest up? Um, God, there's been so many. <laughs> <laughs> what's, your, what's your top three yeah. <laughs> top top three yeah what's the one that stands out the one that you were like oh god <laughs> zoom in on this son yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think um i think the biggest mistake i've made was probably with some 625 machine pieces that were about eight inch diameter by three and a half meters long and they had a bore through them Ooh. now I, I i got the order it was great fantastic three and a half meters long but I put the order through because at the time we had to put our own order through. We didn't have an order yeah. or anything. I know what that. I know what. So happened. I put the length wrong. Yeah, the length was too short. So then it goes through, and these these pieces were about twenty five grand each or something. And there's about four of them. Yeah, that was great when it got to the customer and they rung me up and said it was short. But I managed to sell them elsewhere. Yeah, did you? Always, How long did it take? A, quite a while, quite some time. Yeah. How much did you lose? How much did I lose? Yeah. Come on, I tell it me. Been, it, it probably would have been, yeah. Probably would have been about 100 grand, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, easily, How much? Easily, yeah. Yeah, and I still kept my job, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't ask where you were if I had to swallow that one. But, but yeah, I mean, we. but then eventually I sold the material and it didn't lose in the long run, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, That's what I meant, it. though. In terms of, like, the, the, the value of it, when you, when you sold it, did you... Did you manage to cover the cost? Yeah, of it? I managed to cover the cost. Yeah, yeah, and make a bit more money on the side as well. But nice. In at that time, it's like, oh my god, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> you, you do do it, and you, you're doing things at 100 miles an hour. And at the time, the, the contract review wasn't great within the company. I'll, I'll, I'll sell that. Yeah. So it was like yeah. there wasn't really anybody looking at your work. So whenever you're kind of looking at material, looking at spec, always good to have that contract review. Always good to have somebody who's checking your work. Because we all make typos. The thing we is, make though, it's like, you know that order? They're the order. It's like, that's a really good order. It's different. It's unique. It's the kind of thing that you shouldn't get wrong. <laughs> no disrespect. No, it's easy. Because we've yeah. done the same. I mean, remember uh, we had some material come in and they were like, isn't it like 18 by 10, shed 40 to shed 30S Conreds in 3, 2, 1. You know, we had to get them specially made. Unusual grade. Not the kind of thing that anyone's going to have on the shelf. Got them all machined down. They turned up. And they were all right, but that wasn't what the customer had ordered. And you look at it and you think, right, how can we have how can we have balls this up? Because you got the order, we've quoted it correctly, and then when we've actually ordered it, then in it wasn't me that ordered it, by the way. Well, remains nameless who did it. But I remember they came in, and all of a sudden it was like, well, these aren't this doesn't match what what's going back out here. And it was Mark in the warehouse was like, this is not what you've got on your paperwork, lads. He actually did check it, and then I remember the person who'd bought them. They went. Oh, don't worry. Um, 
I'll sell them somewhere else. I was like, well, where are you going to sell them? Like, no one's going to buy these. Nobody uses them. It, it does happen. It does happen and you make mistakes and um, it's, it's then just a matter of trying to rectify it. We never sold them. You never sold them? <laughs> no, they went in the bin. They weren't, I mean, to be fair, they weren't, I think it wasn't horrendous, but you're still looking at probably, I think it was probably like three or four grand's worth of material that just goes in the scrap bin. It was you, weren't it, who did it? It wasn't. No, of course, it wasn't me. I was the one who, when Mark came up, he came and told me. He was like, "Pete, he goes, oh, I've got a bit of a problem." Did you turn into chimp mode? No, I was pretty. I was pretty okay about it. That's why it was funny because then when I mentioned it, it was just like, "Oh yeah, I'll get them elsewhere." I was like, well, "Where are you going to sell these three, two, one random double end? You know, just not." You just, you just don't. But it, it happens to everybody. Everybody who's been in this industry. Mate. Everyone's got them in the warehouse as well, haven't yeah, they? You know yeah. that stuff, and you're like, "What? What? What's that doing over there?" Well, we're, the, we're the same. We've got stuff in our warehouse that's been there for years. What are you talking about? I saw it. There's in the corner. In the corner, yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely, loads of it, loads of it. But it just it just adds to the stock value of that sale, and then it goes against it. <laughs> yeah. Goes against the accounts anyway. So yeah. it's really that's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That forty-eight inch rice base well yeah. that you got in the corner. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, look. Thanks for coming down today, Adam. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. So, yeah, that's the end of uh, the Adam Bradley podcast. Who's, uh, he was quite impressed with our recruitment, wasn't he? Because obviously he's... Well, he, he'd done some podcasting, hadn't he? Yeah, so he'd done some podcasts. I mean, that's the thing with Adam, is he puts himself out there, doesn't he? Well, he'll he? have a go. He'll have a go. Yeah, yeah, he'll have a go. And that, But the thing is, is he's not, he's not worried either about doing it. A lot yeah. of times, people almost scared of putting themselves out there. And I think what else is quite interesting with his, where he's at CRM at the moment is they trust him. They allow him to do a job. You know, he's a manager and he's allowed to manage and run the business how he wants. And really, sometimes managers in the industry who really are, are not being able to do what they want to do. And I think with Adam, he was he's allowed to do what he wants to do. He's obviously done the UK Metal Expo this year. He's done podcasts with people who are suppliers and maybe even customers. He and did, he's put um, out there. He did a networking event as well with people. I did like this bit of an open forum so all the customers could come and ask them the questions so that they were all talking about these are the reasons for the price rises, these are the issues that are going on in the marketplace, which again was something he put together. And I know he's been pretty active with the BSSA. If Rob's listening, he wants to do something in the north for the BSSA, just let him let him do it. <laughs> It'll work. I think he's doing the right things. I think, you know, we, we've looked at it with our business, haven't we? It's like we, we'll say, these are the things that we need to do to get to where we want to get to. And sometimes you have to keep doing the right things. You don't always get the reward straight away. But if you're consistent, you should get there. And I think that's where they are now. I think their growth has been really strong. And I think they'll just keep going if they can just... Keep but also you need stuff. people in the industry who don't just want their company to change. They want the industry to change. And there's a difference, you know, there's, and that's what Adam's wanting to see happen. He's not, he, as long as his company's doing well and they're, and they're doing what they do, but he also wants people to, to, to do well themselves, you know, mm. and the industry to do well. That, and that's, he's passionate about the industry. And that's, you know, what I got out of the podcast. Yeah, I enjoyed we've it. we've done it. So uh, thank you for popping up. And um, sorry we only was able to get you a Tesco meal deal, Adam. Yeah, and a fine. 
you get a fine. Yeah, you got fined. So for anyone that comes to Birmingham to record with us, um, if you're not driving a Euro 6 diesel or a Euro 4 petrol car, you will be fined for coming into the city centre unless you pay the, um, the clean air charge. What's he got, a Cavalier? I don't know, he got... Um, he got the old, the old no, Cavalier, the like old a, Vauxhall Cavalier no, from 1997. Yeah, some seven-seat diesel thingy-me-jig. But yeah, but yeah, basically, you got done for 60 quid. seven-seat diesel. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But thanks to the uh, podcast sponsors. Yeah, and Birmingham Council for taking a bit of money off him. <laughs> sort yeah. out the potholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cheers to Anglo Stainless, Amaral Architectural, and the UK Metals Expo. And thanks for listening. And we'll see you um, next Tuesday. <laughs>